Welcome back to PhDOG Saturday on Calling All Beings. I'm your host, DJ, along with my co-conspirator of fun, interesting, and talk about the new phenomenon. And that's Money Nathan. What's up, everybody? Man, it's Hollywood Squares up in here. It's good to see everyone. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and there Saturday. is Jay King playing Paul Lind in the center square. Oh, I was just going to say that. Oh, man. <laughs> And we got, uh, <laughs> as at a study of UAPs, the host of Deb's Dad at Dojo. That is my homie, Deb. What's up, buddy? Deb? Deb's muted. Oh. Deb walks towards the light. Deb, <laughs> Sorry, I have too many mute buttons. I was saying, Jay will I'm guide excited. us through NDEs. <laughs> All right, go ahead, man. <laughs> I was saying, I'm excited because it's spring break, and I'm going to be going to the Big Apple soon. Can I Wonderful. get it? Amen. Um, <laughs> um, let me see. I don't know if Matt is coming today, our Bigfoot guy. I really wanted Jay and Kelly to meet Matt, our new cabbie, uh, the host of Bigfoot Crossroads, Matt Knapp. He's amazing, uh, like the rest of these cabbies. But you know what? We did get Leah Prime in the house. What's up, homegirl? Newly engaged. Yes, newly engaged with the Mr. Prime. Uh, there you go, show yes. <laughs> yes, I know. Got to get the silicon ring because we're waiting on the real deal. Uh, it's being made right now. Um, yep, delighted to be here. DJ, who needs coffee when I've got you on a Saturday morning? <laughs> Ma'am, I'm here for you. You know this. Um, okay, and also we decided since Frank couldn't be here, we had to get some representation from the UK. He's there watching the Flanders. What is it? It's, it's, it's sort of like the Tour de Flanders a bicycle race. Uh, the man Ooh. from Yorkshire, my man, Davy Johnston, the host. Of, tell him the name of your show, Davy. The mechanism, which is my UFO one, which will be out shortly. We've recorded our first few episodes; they're just in the mix. Mm -hmm. And also the host of Shifting Gears, which is where I talk to people who have had, let's say, transformational change events happening in their life, much like myself. Ooh, Davy, yeah, like for we me, we got to was... talk, man. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And it's not yeah. just about wearing silicon rings. No, no, there's, there's, this, this is just the, the end result of that, <laughs> the long tail after effect. Davey, <laughs> you see why I brought Davey on? Okay, <laughs> we have a man that everybody in ufology know and love because he's an experiencer. He's an original gangster in this phenomenon and multiple phenomenon, some of which I can't mention right now because he done told me not to. And that is my man, Jay Christopher King. Hello. Yeah, good, <laughs> good to see you all this morning. This is uh this is like um you know how like Joe Rogan likes to do those cold baths in the morning and he just takes a big cold dunk. Uh, this is like big taking a big cold dunk uh first thing in the morning. Uh, it's great to be here. Uh thanks for having me. Uh it's an honor and a pleasure. And if anybody goes to my Facebook, you'll also see videos of me doing those those plunges. Uh in the tub and also in Big Bear in some stream that was, I think, colder than anything I've been in. 
Uh, <laughs> but, but it is awesome. Uh, we also, so this is a, a, an inquiry of anomalous experiences in the phenomenon. Jay's the co-conspirator in that, along with James Eindoli. And, of course, we have here uh, the host of the Ohio Heritage UFO Conference. Is that what we're calling it, Miss Kelly Chase? Yes. Author? Hello. It's so lovely to be here. I love to see all these wonderful faces in the morning. Host a UFO rabbit hole. How you like me now? But uh, <laughs> but before we get to that, Nathan, let's talk about uh, an inquiry of uh, into anom anomalous experiences in the phenomenon. Quite a, a mouthful that will uh, chest, uh, test your sort of polysyllabic ability. Go ahead, man. Exactly, exactly. All right, so this is the third inquire uh, experience, and it is an experience. I mean, if you haven't been to the virtual, the live uh, session, you're missing out. It's incredible. Uh, Jay, I wonder if you could talk us through... Who's going to be there? Because uh, it seems like everyone's going to be there. Um, I'm going to put up the little little uh, promo here on the screen. Maybe you can walk us through who's who's in attendance yeah. this time. Yeah, and you grab the the newest one. That's great. And so we just announced yesterday that um, Brandon Fugel will be joining us, which is awesome. Uh, of course, Brandon Fugel, the owner of Skinwalker Ranch and co-EP of uh, um, The Secret of Skinwalker on History. Um and uh, and that's just because it, it just wildly worked out because he's going to be in town doing History Channel stuff. And so and he was interested in the conference. So he's going to be doing he's going to be doing a fireside chat conversation with Leslie Kane, which is very cool. cool. Uh, we also have um, Derek Pitts, who's the chief astronomer of the Franklin Institute in Philadelphia. He's kind of recently come out as somebody that's that's interested in UAP and the phenomena. Uh, he was a talking head on Leslie's new show, UFOs Investigating the Unknown. And that's kind of one of the undercurrents of this one is that we actually have four four people that were featured on Leslie's recent show that, that was on History Channel and you can find through Nat Geo and uh, Hulu and soon to be Disney Plus, UFOs Investigating the Unknown. So we've got Derek Pitts, Ryan Graves of the Merge podcast, um, uh, former... Uh, former Navy, uh, the kind of was the first active, active duty Navy person to be talking about recent events off the East Coast. Um, oh, do you hear the cops coming for me? Yeah, man. Yeah, okay. okay. All right. Somebody, somebody fill some time for like 10 seconds. You know what? I'm actually moving out of Jersey City in like three weeks. And so nobody's going to have to deal with the cops anymore. I'm, I'm moving to like a nice college town. So like, uh, okay, so we've got Ryan Graves and then uh, James Fox also appeared on UFOs Investigating the Unknown. Of course, he did the recent movie Moment of Contact on the Virginia Brazil case. He's the director of The Phenomenon. And then, uh, of course, Leslie Kane herself, who's a consulting producer and kind of the, the main narrator on that show. Then we also have Elizabeth Crone, who's a near-death experiencer. Uh, she got hit by lightning in a, the parking lot of her synagogue. Wow. And, um, and it was a completely life-changing experience for her. Um, she started having precognitive dreams that she was able to to uh, document by sending herself emails. So it would have a time date stamp on it. And, um, yeah. And so famously, you remember the Sully crash when that guy had to like land a plane in the, in the river, river? here yeah, in the yeah. Hudson River here in New York City? She actually she had a precognitive dream about that the day before and and emailed it to herself and like even like. She had like the airline and like flying into the river and the whole dang thing. It was crazy. So oh my anyway, God. 
Yeah. And so after, you know, a lot of people have precognitive dreams, but they don't think to document them in a way like that, you know, sending themselves mm -hmm. mail. And wow. so, um, and so she actually ended up writing a book called Changed in a Flash with Jeff Kripal, um, which is kind of a big Great deal book. because, yeah. And, and Jeff, of course, is one of the best living authors, best living writers uh, on these topics. And so, you know, and he very rarely co-writes with anybody. And so that kind of speaks to um, how seriously he takes her account. And she's a very moving speaker. So it'll be great to have her there. And we've also got Peter Lavenda, who, um, who of course, uh, co-wrote The Secret Machines books with Tom DeLonge, God's Man, and The Upcoming War, which should be coming out later this year, it sounds like. And uh, he has also, for many, many years, has been writing on mystery schools, esoteric knowledge, the occult, and, and related topics. And so he's, he's a really unique voice because, you know, speaking about, uh, he's, he's talked a lot about ufology and has like a, a, a pretty good mastery of that field, but he also likes to relate it to these kind of systems of hidden knowledge that have been going on for hundreds of years. And I think he's going to bring a lot to the table and he very rarely does any conference appearances. You can barely get him onto a podcast. And so James and I felt like it was like a huge win to be able to convince Peter to come up from Florida. Um, and then we've got uh, Kurt Jaimungle of Series of Everything. So, um, and Kurt is actually going to be doing a conversation with James Fox and Leslie Kane. So Leslie Kane's going to be kind of doing two fireside chat conversations, one with Brandon Fugel and another with James Fox and Kurt Jaimungle. Um, so awesome. it's going to be, it's going to be a wild party. There's only, there's only room for 110 people in the room. The in-person tickets are already sold out and we have a limited amount for the live stream. There's 500 and that's because, uh, we want to have like a quality experience for people. And we, and I, I personally hate it when you go to, to a live chat and there's like a thousand people there and like, and it just looks like a blur and mm. like, no, nobody can be heard. You can't focus on anything. And so we limited the tickets to that, and uh, we hope to see you there. It'll be awesome, dude. Amen, brother. I I'll tell you what. I'm I'm still thinking about Elizabeth Crone's experience, man. We gotta get her. I want to hear all about that, man. Get get both you and her on that one. <laughs> oh, that'd be fun. That'd be so yeah. fun. She's really cool. Yeah. Um, we got to go with Kelly though, because time is short. We only have three minutes sure. until uh, Doctor Espinon Hargens is here. So, um, and so I hate to hurry. We should have like plugged in a little bit more time but awesome. kelly could you please tell us about the ohio um event the ohio heritage well, no worries because i've got a whole other month left to bug you guys yes, about this conference yeah, and yeah. you know that i will be on twitter it's kelly again telling you about the ohio ufo heritage conference <laughs> so get used to that um you can see here we have a lovely lineup of speakers i am so stoked about this conference if i wasn't involved with this conference i'd be stoked to go um, we have James Fox. He's going to be actually be doing a screening of Moment of Contact. Um, obviously, Diana Walsh-Basalka, Bryce Sable, Dr. Michael Masters, Micah Hanks, Exo Academian, um, Jay Christopher King. We know that guy. Uh, Phil Ford and J.F. Martell from Weird Studies. I mean, it's going to be a great lineup. This is the first year that we're doing this event. It's first time doing this event. Um, so, you know, we're really excited about just putting on the best event that we can and hopefully making this something annual. We're really excited about bringing this to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. It's such a, uh, linchpin kind of location in terms of the mystery of the UFO phenomenon and our, our history with it, especially in the last 100 years. 
Um, so really excited about this conference and I hope a bunch of people will come out and join us. It's going to be really special. Yeah, yeah I might, I might actually come out. Uh, I'm going to try to work on coming out for that one. Um, while Roswell, we we're talking about Roswell in the pre-show and I've done hours and hours of touch and go landings at Roswell and, and, and been to the town, but right Patterson, I think I bought a sound bar in the BX and left. So I was, <laughs> it'd, be cool. it'd be cool to come there. Um, so yeah, this sounds like a phenomenal event. Uh, those of you who are planning on attending, will probably see Nathan there, uh, or you will see Nathan there. That's a guarantee. And right. more than likely you'll see me there as well. And who knows what kind of hijinks that we'll be getting up to uh, there. <laughs> So, <laughs> so uh, with that, I want to thank you guys for um, for coming and promoing. We'll we'll hit it up again. I know um, Jay's is uh, next week. Next weekend, right? right. Next weekend, yeah. Next weekend. Who who here's going? Dad? I'm going. I'm going. I'm, I'm planning on being there. I'll be there. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I can't make this one spring break for me. I'm so excited. I'm so All looking right. forward to seeing you guys there. And Nathan, I'll see you in Ohio. You will, and man. D and DJ, it sounds like hugs are waiting. It's awesome. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, I'm, cool. I'm looking forward to this. So thank you, uh, folks. We'll, we'll promo again. We're not going to have another cab, uh, I don't think, until after spring break, unless I can organize something ad hoc uh, where um, we're going to talk about um, an investigate a Bigfoot investigation that Matt went on in Paris, Texas, that is cool. absolutely bizarre and freaky, and there's a lot of woo in there, and we really need some, some minds to kind of churn through this and see if we can – because Matt – hasn't been able to unravel it. Um, I mean, great. down to handwriting analysis and things like that. So so uh, we may organize one of those in between now and then, but otherwise um, it'll be, uh, we'll, we will promo yours, uh, Kelly, because we'll, we'll Cab will be back when Nathan comes back. So thank you nice. very much, guys. We'll see you yeah, around. Thank you all so much. All right. Thank you, friend. Say, say hi to Sean for me. Absolutely. Yep. Yes, please say hi. <laughs> see you soon, guys. All right, uh, this gentleman is backstage. Like I said, it's it's P, it's a PhDOG month on cab, uh, so <laughs> we're very excited to uh, have this gentleman come in. Uh, he is the dean of Integral Education and Integral Noetic Sciences Program and the director at the California Institute of Human Science. So put your hands together for Doctor Sean. Espion Hargens! Can I get an amen for Dr. Sean? Amen. Welcome. Amen. Good morning. <laughs> Happy Saturday. Welcome, sir. Can we hear you? Oh, you're oh, on oh, mute. Oh, he's muted. He's muted. I'm Here so glad it wasn't true. All right. There we go. That was hey, awesome, awesome, DJ. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to go. <laughs> Thank you, sir. It do, You know, it doesn't matter if you're muted because your hair looks great. And that always gets me going in the morning because, for, you know, first it's Nathan and then you. Even Davey. Davey's got great hair. I've, I've visited with him in England a couple of times. Um, so you do you know everybody here that's on the panel? Leah also has great hair, DJ. Thank you. Leah, yes. just, uh, well, yeah, obviously. Hair looks like this because I just got off a UFO, you know, and so what can you do? Exactly. I just slow down and push you out, right? That's right. <laughs> I hope they have hair gel. Uh, and some of these intelligences, but but uh, if if anyone here uh, that you haven't met, let's everybody sort of just intro intro themselves real quick, and then I'll go with the first question, which of course is going to be about potato chips. But go ahead, Nathan. <laughs> Thanks, DJ Sean. Welcome, great to have you with us. Uh, so I'm one of the co-hosts here, at calling all beings. Uh, also a co-host on Liminal Frames with my good friend Darren Exo Academian, who I believe you know. 
Uh, yeah, it's great yeah. To, uh, to to speak with you. Really, really ha happy to have you with us this morning. And uh, we're going to get into it, man. I'm really excited about this. So uh, I know we've got some big hitter questions coming your way. So I hope you've had your coffee. <laughs> awesome. Good to connect, Nathan. Yeah. Um, I'm Leah Prime, co-host here on Calling All Beings. I host The Invisible Night School on Wednesday evenings. Oh, nice. um, I am somewhat mischaracterized as a skeptic. That's why I always put in I'm a bit more woo than I appear. Um, look, I saw you speak at the October yes. event in New York, was really blown away by your presentation, um, have very closely followed the work you've done around exo-studies, um, our wild cosmos, all that work. Yeah. Um, awesome. And then I also have a forthcoming independent show, Version Zero, which should be coming out in the next keep saying the next six to eight weeks, but life got a little weird, but now it might actually be the next six to eight weeks. Oh, did did so, we name it? Did, yeah, did, version did, zero. Whoa! Yes. Woo! Talking with frontier and pioneer thinkers across technology, AI, psychedelics, consciousness, wow. and of course, UFOs. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you, sir. That joint will be on the Calling All Beings Network is what yes. we're talking about, Professor. Um, yeah. And next, from Yorkshire, England, by way of Flanders. Go ahead. <laughs> Hi, Sean. I'm David Johnston. I'm, as you can tell by the accent, over the other side of the pond in the UK. I'm Great. normally based in the UK, but I'm currently in Belgium, in Flanders, to uh, watch some cycle racing. I am the co-host of the Mechanism podcast with the wonderful UK UAP Ash. Mm -hmm. And for my sins, I am also a cycling coach, a coach, and a yoga teacher. And I'm incredibly privileged to be able to co-host here with my uh, mm -hmm. super cabbie family. Awesome. Nice to connect, Davey. And original gangster right here, uh, Debs. Uh, yep, she hosts I a show called Debs Data Dojo. Go ahead, ma'am. Hi, I met you in New York. I was the person running around on the stage. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, I was the one that everyone's like, what is that lady doing? Anywho, um, and I also work with the UAP Medical Coalition. I'm obviously mm. a member of CAB, my CAB fam. And um, yes, I do Debs at a Dojo, and I am a mental health practitioner yeah. in the other side of my life. Yeah. <laughs> See, you, you can see why I feel uh, barely, you know, mostly inept around this kind of a group right here, Sean. Um, so, you know, being that, you know, before we get into uh, the, what we're going to discuss today, since, you know, Dr. Kripal, your colleague, was sort of on the fence about potato chips, we have to ask you, are you the type of guy that's going to have sort of a kettle chip, you know, a lightly salted, or are you somebody that needs a flavored potato chip, a Pringle? What, what is your pota potato chip favor? I'm pretty completely in love with potato chips, so it doesn't really matter. Pretty much any kind. I I like all oh shapes, God. flavors, sizes. Like chips are God. So we're so Nathan, for data purposes, we have yeah. a trend where this these PhDs are omni chip. They're like Bigfoot. They're, they're an omnivore. <laughs> they really are. Any yeah. chip you know, will do. Go leaves. They'll go berries. They'll go meat. Right. <laughs> these guys don't have a preference. Yeah. I, th I find that fascinating. <sighs> Please but jot I, I that down. For poly chip. Poly chip. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> All right. So we'll we'll contact another one, another former cab guest, Dr. Gary Nolan, with this data and see if there's anything we can extract of interest in the phenomenon and with a, a poly chip preferences in, in terms I think of preferences. The, the basal ganglia is absolutely indicated in you know these chip preferences. So we, we, we gotta get a, we gotta a clear sense of what's going the on. Evidence here. will show, yes. <laughs> There is a correlation here, so we'll you know we'll we'll get into that further. <laughs> but let me ask you: I'm gonna I'm gonna kick this off, Dr. Sean. Um, obviously, an undergraduate degree from Lewiston College, 
uh, Lewis and Clark College. And I, I'm, I'm curious if that was sort of like a bit of foreshadowing <laughs> mm. or was that like a metaphoric irony given the journey that you would sort of undertake in the future? Do you did you know where you were headed, you know, back then as an undergrad? Yes and no. As an undergrad, I, I tried to triple major and I... <laughs> Uh, I wanted to study animal consciousness. And so to study animal consciousness, you really have to study philosophy, psychology, and biology. So I ended up getting a double major in philosophy and psychology and um, essentially a minor in biology. I, each quarter, you know, my call, my friends at the time, you know, in school, you generally, we are on a quarter system. Students around me were taking, you know, two or three classes a quarter. I was so hungry for knowledge and connections and understanding how all of this fits together. I was taking five classes each quarter and to take five classes each quarter, you have to get special permission from the Dean because they want to make sure you're not like, you know, going to jump off a bridge or something. <laughs> You've kind of gone, you know, totally, you know, rogue. And so I always was getting that permission. I took, you know, a ton of classes when I graduated in four years, I had six years of classes. So I managed to pack six years of classes into four years. And, and that just like kind of indicates my desire to like understand reality. Like, I just want to know what the F is going on. You know, like, how does this all fit together? And it also highlights, you know, my primary interest in consciousness. You know, in my undergrad, it was about animal consciousness and looking at what can we and can't we say about, um, in particular, bonobo chimps. And because there wasn't a lot of good research, you know, um, available at the time. Nowadays, I mean, there's been an explosion of amazing research on plant intelligence and animal consciousness. So we were able to say a lot more these days. But, you know, back in you know, the early 90s, not so much. When I graduated, I went into Peace Corps and lived in Africa, Chad, Africa, wow. for three years. And I Very cool. read 200 books while I was there because I had a lot of time in my mud hut. And once again, I was reading philosophy, literature, religion, environmental studies, you know, just kind of across the board. Again, just like this insatiable appetite for trying to understand and just really interested, just like finding reality totally fascinating, you know, in all these different disciplines with their particular take. Mm -hmm. So in that part of my journey, I got really interested in human consciousness and like human transformation and spirituality and, you know, transcendent states and meditation and then when I went into grad school, um, I started to get more interested in anomalous experience. And then when I graduated from grad school, I started having more anomalous experiences. And then I got very interested in encounters with non-human intelligences because I was having, you know, some experiences along those lines. And, you know, so then I graduated into what I now call exo studies, you know, mm -hmm. um, and interestingly, you know, next week I'm teaching two new courses at the California Institute for Human Science one on plant and animal consciousness, and one on varieties of non-duality, where we're looking at 10 different traditions and how they understand non-duality and this kind of the, the variations on that notion and the different types of experiences people have that they labeled non-duality. And so mm -hmm. I really, I'm interested in all consciousness. Um, next year, I'm going to teach a course in artificial intelligence and alien consciousness. Um, you know, so oh, dude, we got to talk. Oh, we go, <laughs> we we go get into it, Sean. We got we got places to go and things to do. But here's what I want to say. Um, yeah, I do find it very ironic uh, that 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 
you know, the namesake of your college and the journey. And then what you and I, I don't know if you ever saw that irony, but uh, because we have uh, five of us here today, I got to get Money Nathan in there because I know he got something. And you're going to understand why we call him Money Nathan here in a second. Uh, <laughs> thanks, DJ. Uh, so, Sean, what I want to get into, and this is for our audience, I think, who may not be as familiar, but folks don't maybe realize how many uh, you know, thinkers in the UFO space have been highly influenced by Ken Wilbur and in a mm. theory. And I was wondering if you could just, I know this is a big question, so I had to condense this, but could you just explain briefly what is integral theory and why is it such a compelling way of looking at the world, particularly with respect to the phenomena? Mm, awesome. Well, I'm so glad you asked this, Nathan, because I've never <laughs> been asked about Ken Wilbur on a UFO podcast. And Ken Wilbur is the, my primary inspiration for all things integrative. And, you know, when I was in Africa, I was sent a, a, um, a book of his by a friend. Uh, the book's called Brief History of Everything. I read, and I read that book, and it was towards the end of my two-plus years there. And so I had I'd basically read 200 books, and then I read this book by Ken Wilber, Brief History of Everything, where he introduces his quadrant model, among other things, which basically helps you integrate all human knowledge. And I just had this what I call an intellectual satori after reading that book. Like it was as if everything I had read for the last two years, you know, in Africa, plus the four years in school and college at Lewis and Clark, all of a sudden I had a way of holding and organizing all of this information. And it just it like, it was like, a, it was a transcendent experience. It was like, just like I was like in an altered state for about two days after reading that book. And I realized that I wanted to, I had this kind of what I call a moment of clarity. It's, it's kind of like a precognitive moment. I've had three or four in my life, and they've always been connected to really big events. And so I had this moment of clarity that integral theory would be my main focus for the rest of my life. It was, it was like finding kind of my path and my dharma. And, and it was just kind of like this full body realization of like, it's kind of like recognizing your, you know, twin flame or something. It was just kind of like, whoa, you know, it was like erotic. It was, you know, emotional. It was, you know, confusing. It was exciting. Um, and so when I finished um, my time in Africa and I went back, I ended up basically getting a PhD in Ken Wilber's, you know, work and integral theory. And, and then after that, I kind of became an academic leader with developing conferences, international conferences academic, um, you know, peer-reviewed journals and, you know, and creating um, graduate programs based on integral theory. So integral theory is basically this amazing interdisciplinary framework for holding together lots of very different data points, right? And so it weaves together behavioral studies, systems thinking, human development, cultural theory, and it also emphasizes the importance of developmental levels, that we go through these different worldviews and we grow and expand into new worldviews under the right conditions. And each worldview allows us to see more and more of reality. One a simple way of thinking about integral theory in, in its developmental kind of aspect is we move from egocentric to like kind of tribe-centric to kind of social-centric, you know, kind of nation-state to world-centric, to planet-centric, to eventually like cosmo-centric, right? So there's this process we develop through 
And this has been studied for you know, over 100 years in the developmental psychology tradition. So we understand this process pretty well. And Wilbur does a lot of analyses looking at the role that these different worldviews play in the interpretation of things. So you can take the UFO phenomenon and you can understand how people with different worldviews and value systems would interpret essentially the same experience through a very different set of, you know, you know, kind of symbols, ideas, references. And, and this also helps explain the cultural wars that we see going on, you know, and so integral theory has been really valuable for me because the phenomenon is really complex and it's so mysterious and dynamic. And, and it's like, you just can't get your hands around it. In fact, one of my kind of big moments where I, I kind of took my background in integral theory and I turned towards what I now call exostudies was reading this quote in um, The Hunt for Skinwalker towards the end, you know, they're reflecting on kind of their efforts to try and study the phenomenon there at Skinwalker Ranch in Utah. And they, they say basically, you know, like the Bigfoot people don't want to talk to the UFO alien people and the UFO alien people don't want to talk to the ghost hunters and the ghost hunters don't want to talk to, you know, and, and I realized in that moment, like, wow, we need an integral approach that recognizes the truth, but partiality of each of these schools of thought, these perspectives, these approaches. And so that was this other moment of just kind of like, okay, this is, this is what I need to do. Like I'm uniquely equipped to bring an integral approach to the phenomenon, to understand and appreciate the spiritual aspects, the nuts and bolts aspects, the cultural aspects, the human development aspects. And, and I can start to create a framework, um, which I've been doing over the last few years, um, to understand, you know, the, the phenomenon from an integral perspective, you know, and, and because in my experiences with non-human intelligences, I've had encounters with what I would consider celestial beings, with what I would consider extraterrestrial or galactic beings, and what I would consider fey or nature spirit or elemental beings, right? And when I would hang out with my fairy tradition friends, they didn't want to talk about ETs. When I'd hang out with my ET friends, they wanted to make every fairy just a uh, ET, you know, of right. one sort or another. <laughs> and, you know, and so I was just like, wait a second. No, you guys are missing something here. You know, like, like it's actually the cosmos is much more wild than you realize. There's a lot of different types of intelligences and we can't just keep reducing one type to another type and think we're making progress. Like we, we need a bigger cosmology that makes room for the, the sheer diversity of the phenomenon and the sheer diversity of non-human intelligences um, and this is also why I love Kripal's work. You know, Kripal is very much an integrative thinker. And, you know, he's done a lot to inspire some of the concepts that I've been developing and building on. Um, so integral theory, I feel, gives us a really good map to make sense of the phenomenon. Ironically, integral theory hasn't really done much with the phenomenon. Like it kind of stays clear of it, like so many other approaches. Um, and so it took, you know, a while for me to kind of come out of the UFO closet and start talking about my experiences with my integral theory friends. But what really floored me was when I started to do that, many of them started to share with me their own um, encounters and UFO experiences. And I was like, what? You haven't shared this with me? We've been friends for like 10 years and we've, we've drank beers together. We've gone on ayahuasca ceremonies together. We've done this together. And you've never shared this with like, so it just highlighted the level of the taboo 
and how even in a community that purports to be an integral community that wants to include everything and make room for a full range of human spirituality and experience, even there, there was a, a taboo and a stigma around the phenomenon. And so that really inspired me to like, you know, try and shift that and create more understanding around the, the ubiquitous nature of these experiences um, across humanity. And that's absolutely fabulous. The table has been set. I think we're ready to roll here. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I'll tell you what, I'm wondering how he had time for keg parties, as he mentioned beer, taking five <laughs> classes at Lewis and Clark, but that just shows great organizational skills. That's right. Um, <laughs> Debs, uh, take it away, my friend. Right. So one thing that I found really interesting is that you spoke uh, on several podcasts about your meditation experiences, about how going inside yourself actually results in going outside and i discovered that myself also when i meditated that when i would meditate i would be taken really far away <laughs> like so i was wondering if you could expound on that a little bit and explain that to people yeah well i think there's a couple things to keep in mind and help me try and make sense of that dynamic one is you know, part of the phenomenon, you know, a, a core aspect of the phenomena I f feel is that it has this quality called doubleness, um, that there's, it has these contradictory and paradoxical qualities simultaneously. So it's both inside and outside, right? It's, I'm having an experience inside me, and I'm also seeing a series of events happening outside me, and they seem to somehow be one of the same or related. You know, Mike Cleland's you know, book on messengers gives lots of examples of this, the synchronicity of internal states and external manifestations, right? So that's one example. Um, also, there's doubleness between self and other. Often our encounters with some of these beings feel on one level like it's a other being different than us. And then on some level, sometimes it feels like it is us interacting with ourselves, right? You know, or ourself from the future, or a different aspect of ourselves, you know, so it's confusing, right? And then with time and space, there's a lot of doubleness too in the phenomenon. So I think this is one of the areas where the doubleness shows up, where we go inside and simultaneously experience something outside, right? And that, you know, so, so because the phenomenon doesn't fit into our kind of binary conceptual frameworks of inside, outside, self and other, past and future, you know, the phenomenon, as Kripal highlights, I think, very appropriately, is the anomalous is non-dual sign. It's this constant reminder of, of some deeper, um, you know, sourcing, you know, simultaneity, you know, um, singularity, you know, shared reality. Um, the other aspect is consciousness. Consciousness is such a funny, weird thing. It's like, no one really knows or understands what consciousness is. Like if you under, if you look at the conscious studies literature, no one can agree on what a definition of consciousness is. And so it's, it's interesting because we are just completely immersed in our own consciousness. I mean, we couldn't be closer to it. It's like, we are, you know, a fish swimming in water. We are, we experience consciousness every single moment. And yet it still remains to be one of the top mysterious things in our reality as human beings like we we just don't know what to make of it um and so consciousness you know there's obviously our individualized consciousness but our individualized consciousness is part of a network and of fields of consciousness and and so often when we go in we it feels like we're going in like in terms of a spatial sense 
Um, because that's just like, uh, because we're embodied beings that walk, you know, through a room, you know, upright and, you know, in a linear way, we have this very kind of ingrained sense of like inside and outside, like here I am in my body. And so when we meditate, we often have this kind of image that we're going in. And there is something very true and right about that. But at the same time, we're also just going into the field of consciousness. And the field of consciousness is not bound by being inside my body, right? And we we also know this from examples like, you know, out-of-body experiences, you know, where, you know, like our consciousness goes beyond our physical body in so many different ways. Um, so it's, it's just kind of how our brain tries to coordinate in time space, you know, um, and so there can be this paradoxical sense of going in um, and then also kind of going out. And part of it, and this is where I'm really interested in and where my research is going, is looking at subtle bodies and how when we connect with different subtle bodies, because, you know, many traditions and systems highlight that we have anywhere from three to, you know, nine subtle bodies, um, well, actually including the physical body, so eight subtle bodies. And those different subtle bodies enable us to access different realms, dimensions, and, you know, worlds. And there are different beings associated with different realms, worlds, you know, in, in the subtle sense. Um, and so part of it is that when we go in, we might be like actually connecting with a different subtle body. And that subtle body is kind of bilocated, right? It's, it's not just inside us, like as a physical vehicle and a biological being, but it's kind of like we are in two places at once. Um, I once had this meditative experience where I was in the meditation room and I could, I had a soft gaze and I could see, um, you know, the, the floor and, you know, I could hear the voice of the instructor, and, but I was just kind of open and grounded and just kind of present. The same time I was in some kind of fairy realm and I could sense a bunch of beings around me and it was very, you know, colorful, almost you know, kind of like how sometimes people describe on DMT, you know, the, 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 you know, like kind of the technicolor of the experience. Um, and then at the same time, I was also in this black void space um, where I was just kind of this oblong orb of light. Um, and so the experience was that I was literally in these three different places simultaneously. So I think there's this misnomer we have because we're, we're so conditioned by being in a physical reality that we just assume that we're here physically and this is the only place we are. Um, my sense, the more I've done meditative practice and work with different traditions is that, yeah, we are located in a physical space with our physical body, but our energetic system, our subtle bodies allow us to be in multiple places, other dimensions at the same time. Right. And it's almost like these kind of parallel lives that are, are going on and that you can learn to access and work with those other layers of yourself. And this is where I think a lot of the, you know, ET encounters and even abduction phenomenon is related to the subtle bodies and, and also encounters with the phenomenon activate our subtle bodies and so and, and our subtle senses. So people often start reporting psi phenomenon after an encounter right? Because it's activated this other kind of layer of ourself. So I find this whole area of like, how is it we go inside and experience something outside really key and crucial. Um, and, and an area that I'm trying to investigate and understand by using the subtle body framework to shed a little light on what might be going on in that, how might we better understand that? Um, and then, you know, also working on with conscious studies to understand just the fields of consciousness that we inhabit. 
I'm hoping that my subtle bodies, the other eight, have like a lower body mass index than the ninth one. So if you could, if there's a way that we could sort of take a look yeah. at that. Uh, I also want to say before we turn it over to Leah Prime is um, I did want to mention that Cabot does endeavor to bring these communities together in the last month even. We've had on Paranormal, we've had on multiple Bigfoot guests, and yeah. we will not be just doing only UFOs. We're going to be doing all the you know, all the, the cryptid realms and, uh, and uh, also the paranormal, like you said, ghosts, uh, because we believe that there's some sort of connection between it all. I think you're, you're on board with that, and, and we're going to talk about it all, and that's just how it's going to be. So uh, let me pass it over to Primetime. I know she's got something teed up for you. Oh, man, so many. So first of all, I wanted to let you know, I actually run an exo-studies group, and we just finished oh Ken Wilber's A Brief History of Everything. Yeah, um, wow. so this has been awesome. a, a small group. Uh, interestingly enough, primarily of non-UFO people um, who are very interested, so I've been selecting readings and stuff uh, and guiding these discussions. Um, and I, I'm actually very curious about the academic program you're leading. Um, I come from a super yeah. interdisciplinary background, um, ranging from rare books to applied AI and machine learning. Um, mm. And um, I'm very curious about the kind of students that you're seeking for this program and what you envision these students doing after earning their degree. Yeah, great. Yeah, I, I was an academic for a number of years, about 10 years, and you know, running some an online program and a campus-based um, non-clinical integral psychology program. And, and I loved it, and I, but I left it to launch some companies. And, and I did that for about 10 years. And, and that's kind of when all my exo stuff started to merge. And I was really missing the academy. I, you know, I, I'm a teacher, I love reading, I love writing, I love working with students. And I was looking for kind of the right school to kind of go back to and, and I wasn't finding it. And then the California Institute for Human Science reached out to me about two years ago, or maybe three years ago now. And they, they wanted me to come and run a program in integral health. And I basically said, look, I'm very open and interested in doing that. But I have to tell you, my path forward is exo studies. Like that's one of the main things I want to do. I really want to study the phenomena and I want to create an academic program that is open to that and allows experiencers to come into the program and, and explore these topics in an academic context. I said, so if you're open to that, then I'm willing to talk and explore how I might be part of your university. And they were open to that. I mean, they, you know, they were a little nervous, like, okay, what do you mean? Like, what exactly are we talking about? <laughs> like, you know, fair enough. So, but, you know, they've, they've been really supportive. And I was really excited when about a year ago, year and a half ago, I finally, it took a year to get the board approval for the new program in um, what's now called Integral Noetic Sciences. So I oversee this program. It's a master's program and a PhD program in Integral Noetic Sciences. And Integral Noetic Sciences is just a fancy way of saying a scientific approach to consciousness studies. Right. And, you know, noetic being like the mind and consciousness and integral being kind of a Wilberian or an interdisciplinary approach to the study of the mind. And then science, you know, or sciences, you know, in a working with mixed methods. So qualitative and quantitative approaches, because um, I really as an integralist, I like to mix it all together. Like I, I love the data, but I also love the stories and people's first person descriptions of like what they experienced. 
And so we launched the program a year and a half ago. Within the program, there are kind of two formal concentrations that a student can choose from. One is in wisdom design, which is basically like an integral approach to organizational design and leadership, and kind of using insight from design theory, integral theory, um, organizational design studies to you know, have a more holistic approach to working with companies and projects and initiatives. Um, and because I have a, a design background and, and so that fits really well with my experience and passion. The other concentration is anomalous studies. And anomalous studies includes, you know, UFO experiences, psychedelic, um, cryptozoological experiences, you know, paranormal, yeah. side, you know, the, the full range. And so anomalous studies as a concentration is kind of this umbrella space for all things weird. So you could also think of it as weird studies or UAP studies or exo studies. Um, you know, technically it's anomalous studies, but any of those other um, you know, labels could fit. And we, we've grown the program to about 20 students now. We have about 10 more probably coming in over this next year. And we have more doctoral students than master's students, which for me is very exciting because I really want this program to support the next generation of academic leaders who get a degree in this area that then could go on and research or, or start nonprofits or come up mm -hmm. with new tech gadgets, you know, informed by, you know, these ideas, um, you know, and so we have a number of experiencers in the program. Um, we have more who are coming in and we are also, you know, I've teamed up with a great group of advisors, including Gary Nolan to launch mm -hmm. uh, some global research that I'm going to be beginning later this year and super experiencers and anomalous cognition. And it's going to have like a five-year project in several phases. First phase is interview uh, survey, and then that will filter into in-depth interviews. That will then filter into some psychometric assessments. That will then filter into brain imaging and subtle energy analysis. Um, and the, the focus in all of that is super experiencers, like people who experience multiple types of anomalous phenomenon. And so an individual who has had three Bigfoot encounters, has a series of, you know, humanoid UFO ET encounters and grew up with a ghost in their house. Like that would be like a super experiencer, you know, like someone who's experienced a wide range of anomalous phenomenon. Because interestingly, some people only experience one kind of anomalous phenomenon, you know, on a regular basis. So I'm very curious, why do some people only see ghosts? Some people only experience ET. Some people have angelic encounters. You know, some people just have clairvoyant experiences, you know, like, and then there's some people like Chris Bledsoe who just, you know, <laughs> have all of it going on, right? And so I want to study those individuals because similarly to how, you know, DJ, you and others here, we're talking about how it's all very interrelated. A lot of your guests represent a lot of these different kind of vantage points in the phenomenon. You know, these super experiencers for me are very interesting because they are a place in which the full range of the phenomena shows up, right? And so I'm mm -hmm. very curious to try and understand and, and learn more from them. And it's also a research project that's designed by experiencers, that's developed by experiencers, that's going to be, you know, executed by experiencers, and it's going to be about and for experiencers. So I'm really wanting to, you know, break some new ground with this kind of research. Is it, um, do, I, I have one very quick question, which is I mean, it fully on site or do you offer this remotely at all? 
Yeah, yeah, great question. I should have said that. So it's an online degree. So people from anywhere mm -hmm. in the world can take it. Um, we you know, we do talk. have a small campus um, in Encinitas, which is just north of mm -hmm. San Diego in California. Um, and on campus, we have uh, two labs. We have a consciousness studies lab and we have a subtle energies lab. And there's a lot of equipment in those labs for studying subtle energies and consciousness like EEG machines, heart rate variability machines. And so, you know, students can go to the campus and do the research there. Or if they live elsewhere, we can work with them to find similar lab facilities in other places to, you know, so like folks who are on the East Coast, you know, I'm in conversations with the Moreau Institute um, to explore using some of their labs for this and some of the people involved in that work. Beautiful. Thank you I'll so much. You. <clears throat> yeah, we're going to, I think Nathan will run, uh, show the, the promo of Sean's course. Nathan's got something queued up for you here. Um, because you, you guys can take this. I think it's a little over $400 for this course, uh, which is quite affordable. Um, I think he's... Yeah, so in yeah. this next yeah. week, I'm launching a, a new course that's a public course that's not connected to the university. Um, and so there's there's no tests, there's no papers to write. It's, um, it's a six-month um, community of practice course. Um, I can say more about that, but Nathan, were you going to ask a question? I think he's on mute. All right, guys, I was on mute. Uh, yeah, just one second. I wanted to put the image up for the course. Okay. I'm just going to get my screen share real quick. Um, and um, so, yeah, we we had re uh, read about it. They're real. The titles alone are going to be very intriguing to anyone who's sort of interested in this topic. Oh, there it goes. Nathan's going to be able to pop it up here. Yeah, it's going to be um, bigger here. And so, and it's very affordable at just over four hundred dollars. Like it's it's very accessible to most anybody. There you go. Join us for Exo Studies Foundation six month course in developing multi dimensional awareness. And it looks like it's April third through November nineteenth of twenty twenty three. Yeah. Can I get an amen? That's fantastic. Very yeah. exciting. Yeah. So. It launches on Monday, but it's because it's a six month course, people, some people will be joining it, you know, one, two, even three months in, and that's fine because we record all the sessions and post them with links. And so people can get access to that. And I've run a number of these in the past. In fact, you know, Jay King, who was on, you know, before me, he did the year long um, exo studies um, course and, you know, and, and also a six month course on uh, subtle, subtle senses and multiple worlds. And, you know, it is only $4.95, which is, you know, really, really affordable for a six-month, you know, program. I mean, going to a day-long workshop usually is like $350 to $500, right? So try to make it really available for folks. And we're going to focus on 10 core concepts of exostudies that I've been developing over the last three years. And on the course website, if you go to exostudies.org, and then click on you know current course. There's a description of the course, but then you scroll down. There's 15 key concepts that I've been developing, and you know so you can Thank take you. a look at those. And those are kind of going to be the focus of the course. And I think of these concepts as like the integral tools or part of an integral toolkit to making sense of the phenomenon. And you know so there are things like metadisciplinarity, doubleness, you know, mutual enactment dynamic. Um, our wild cosmos, um, 
even also just the notion of wild being. Um, you know, so there's these various concepts that I've been developing that have emerged out of this interdisciplinary approach to understanding and engaging the phenomenon. And so every two weeks, we're going to dive deep into one of these concepts. And there's meditations and practices. There's already 75 people in the course. And, you know, so we've got a great group of folks. It's very lively. And it's all walks of life. We have atheists and Marxists and Christians and Buddhists and New Agers and people who don't know yet where they fit. You know, we have people who have experienced ghosts and ETs and abductions and Bigfoot and have never had any experience but think all oh, this is really fascinating, right? And so we, it's a very loving, open space, and it's also kind of an intellectual space. So it's this interesting blend um, of, of those qualities, which in itself is pretty unique. We'll tweet out all this information from both uh, my my um, Twitter and the cab Twitter, awesome. so that people know where to go and and sign up and and what's involved in the in the course. So we'll we'll take care. Of it. Plus, it'll be in the show notes anyway. Uh, let's get to our uh, brother from Yorkshire, Davey Johnston. Yeah, Davey, what do you got for us? So, Sean, before my question, I will. I just want to say thank you for two things that you are leading that make me so happy. The first is mm. using the word non-human intelligence. I think mm. it's a really nice descriptor that doesn't contain and limit. I come from a linguistics background, so words are very important to me. Um, and the second thing is I love the fact you're taking an integrative approach. Mm. So often what I've seen from academics is that we channel and funnel down these narrower and narrower focuses. So thank you for both of those. And in total contradiction to my coaching training, I'm going to ask a two-pronged question as well. Oh, good. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's right. It's a no-no. <laughs> so what I often see is that we have this uh, expectation, perhaps within the paranormal world, that this non-human intelligence sits above us in the mm. forms of gods, angels, jinn, aliens, the spirit world. Right. With your background in animal consciousness as well, do you feel that this perhaps non-human intelligence should be broader to extend to things that are level with us, below us, around us, everywhere? And if so, does that lack of thought or lack of acceptance that it exists at these other levels limit our ability to interact with that non-human intelligence? Yeah, so I think this is, I have this, one of the concepts in the course and that I've been developing is around um, galactic post-humanism and, you know, which is a fancy term, somewhat inspired by Kripal's um, use of superhumanism. And that concept is pointing to the reality that we're about to undergo a major shift in terms of our identity as human beings and as, you know, citizens on this planet. Um, and, and that we have to widen what we think of in terms of our, our, our galactic brothers and sisters, right? You know, and, and, or even celestial brothers and sisters, or even the, the Fey brothers and sisters, right? All these non-human intelligences. And, you know, I think you're absolutely right, you know, both in terms of animal consciousness, there are many animals that have better memory than us, that have better um, capacity for certain types of consciousness, certain um features or, you know, kind of ways of perceiving and experiencing the world. So we, we're increasingly aware of how there's some animals that are much better than us in certain types of mental skills and capacities. Um, and then likewise, you know, 
you know, there's some that we excel, you know, in certain areas then over them, right? So it's, it's not a hierarchical kind of arrangement. It's a much more dynamic and complex arrangement. And the same is true for um, non-human intelligences, you know, like there, there are many that are just, you know, kind of on equal footing with us. There's some that are less evolved than us in certain respects and, and some that are more evolved than us. So we have to get much more specific of like, what are exactly are we talking about? Like what quality of consciousness or embodied awareness or, you know, uh, you know, spiritual experience are we talking about? When you make a, just a global statement, like humans are this and ETs are that, or, you know, fairy beings are this, like it just, it's a non-starter, right? It's like, and this is why I love the study of consciousness um, because we have to just, we have to get into the weeds and like tease apart some distinctions and this is a big part of exo studies because part of what I felt was lacking in the UAP space is we don't have the integrative distinctions and frameworks to actually have the conversations yes. we need to have. So we often talk about the grays. Well, depending on what experiencers you talk to, there seems to be anywhere between 20 and 100 different types of grays, right? So if we're just talking about grays, what are we talking about? Right. It's like so there's a level of diversity um, that is occurring that our our language and our distinctions is not honoring. So I think we, we have to get, you know, there's this great line in um, The Giver, like at the movie. Uh, I think it's also in the book where there's they're like precision of language, precision of language. And I often think that's like we, we have to get much more precise in how we talk about these things. And this is why. In Our Wild Cosmos, when I did this meta-analysis of non-human intelligences, I looked at 12 different sources um, in the UFO literature and looked at what are the different types of beings they describe, you know, from kind of an experiencer perspective. And I made this matrix and, you know, there's, you know, basically about 30 different types of beings. Um, and, you know, there's a wide range. And yet we tend to just think of there's grays and maybe, you know, um, Nordics and reptilians and mantid beings, right? Like those are like the big five in the, the UFO space. And there is something interesting about those beings because they do seem to show up across a much wider range of contexts than other types of beings. You know, so, so that raises for me interesting philosophical and ontological questions like, do they have, do those beings have more capacity to trans, uh, to travel across, you know, domains and dimensions and states of consciousness? Whereas, you know, and if you have a DMT experience and you encounter, you know, self-transforming machine elves, those beings seem to only occur under the influence of DMT. Now, that doesn't mean they are not ontologically real because DMT seems to take you to a realm where those beings live and exist and are in some important way, independent of your own consciousness. Um, you know, so, so we need more integrative frameworks. And part of the, that process is we have to tease things apart, right? And we have to differentiate and then we can integrate, right? And so, you know, I think this is part of what I, I feel is coming down the pipe, right? It's like with the US government, you know, and everything that's happening around kind of uh, a reckoning around kind of the the presence of these visitors that I, I think, you know, the be in large part based on Hollywood, people have in their minds like a very like just like a, a, they just think there's like two or three types of beings visiting us. Right. It seems that we're being visited by thousands of different types of beings. 
And some of them have a more constant presence and some just kind of come by, you know, once every few hundred years or whatever, right? Like, I think there's a wide range of kind of what's going on, but I, I don't think we have the cosmology in place, at least in the Western, you know, kind of global context to really understand and appreciate how much variety there is out there. Um, and, and in that variety, you know, just coming back to your core question, there are many ETs that are less developed than us, that are more developed than us, that are just developed differently than us, right? And this is also where Wilbur's framework, I think, is helpful because Wilbur provides a really powerful framework and integral theory of what are the elements of the human being that grow and transform and develop. So there's a model around different states of consciousness. There's a model around different levels of development. There's a model around different types or personalities or orientations or styles, you know, like so... I think we need a much more sophisticated psychology and understanding of psychology to even start to talk about alien consciousness, right? You know, so I'll stop there, but those are some initial thoughts. Yeah, I was going to say um, what you were talking about earlier with super experiencers, and I thought, man, and I don't, I don't mean this tongue-in-cheek, I really would love to see what would happen if Chris Bledsoe went on a Bigfoot experience, uh, expedition in North Carolina with an experienced researcher and just to see what would happen. Right. Uh, literally as, as a you know, noetic scientific uh, experiment. Yeah. So um, I, I, yeah, I asked see Chris, that. I asked him, I said, you know, because I, I sent him, I met him at the Moreau Institute um, and he talks about that experience of being at the Moreau Institute at the end of his recent book, which is really great. Um, and so I, I followed up with um after that event and asked him, you know, like a list of questions, have you experienced this, 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 it was like 30 questions. And, and I present this as a slide in my New York October talk. And I asked him, have you ever experienced Bigfoot? And he said only in dreams, but that the hmm. dreams were, you know, of a quality that suggested it wasn't just, you know, your normal dream. Right. So, so yeah, so, you know, there's some kind of connection he seems to have even with those types of beings. The, the interesting thing is that unlike most people who can't necessarily on demand have an experience happen as Chris can with um, non-human intelligence, et cetera, no. um, a lot of people can and have gone, if you go to the right area, can have a Bigfoot experience. And that, right. that's, so that's what I mean is that um, yeah. if he would get with the right researcher, they could make it happen in North Georgia or, or, or even you know North Carolina is quite a hotbed. Um, so here we are. So we're, we're nearly at the bottom of the hour. So I want to get another round of questions from everybody, a little more, uh, quick hitter, but I wanted to ask you, um, you talked about animal consciousness and in looking at hypotheses of potentially why the phenomenon would want something like a cattle jawbone or, mm. uh, pieces of different biologies. We, we, we are, we obviously have a suspicion of why they would right. want that from humans, but do you think that it's possible, or what do you think uh, that they want? Do you think that there's a potential that they're harvesting animal consciousnesses as well? A a you know a specific NHI. Yeah, um, when you when you look across the experiencer literature, and Arnie Sixkiller Clark has a number of these stories in her four volumes. Uh, you find examples of, of, of assumingly ET beings and craft basically picking up and collecting a wide range of plant and animal species. 
um, some of which seem to be for scientific purposes and kind of a benign, you know, way. Some to be seem to be more nefarious and suspect, and and you know, have more kind of a, a maybe a weird or curious genetic kind of kind of focus to what's going on there. Um, some, you know, seem like they're collecting them for zoos elsewhere, if you will. You know, so it, it seems like, and this again, like when you get into the abduction phenomenon, again, we often talk about it in a singular orientation, as if there's one abduction, you know, um, one type of being, one type of gray that's doing all the abductions. When you really look at the literature, it seems that there's anywhere between 10 and 20 different abduction programs with, you know, a range of motives and, and being done by a wide range of beings, many of which are gray-like in nature, but might not all be the classic gray. Um, so similarly around the animals, it seems like, yeah, a, a lot of different beings are coming here and they're curious and interacting and, you know, dealing with our animals. Um, even, um, you know, in the recent um, 411 missing UFO connection yes. movie with David Pilates, he's talking about a guy gets on a UFO and there's elk on the UFO. <laughs> it's kind of like, whoa. Yeah, yeah right? it, it, those workers saw them grab an elk right up out of a field and take right. and haul it away underneath yeah. the craft. Right. Yeah. So, um, and, you know, and so I think there's been a, and there's been a lot of other eyewitness accounts of similar types of experiences. So, um, you know, if you look at the, um, you know, I, I think there, it's not just humans that are involved in this, you know, and I, I think, you know, there's, you know, the cattle mutilation phenomena is really, really bizarre, right? Like I've, I've not seen too many good, um, integrative analyses of that, that seems to in part be, um, you know, tracking environmental toxins and, you know, so it's kind of like they're the canary in the coal mine, right? Like, so there's some, you know, whether, you know, different diseases and, you know, so they're, um, but it's, it seems like it's even more than that and not all of it can be reduced or understood through even that frame, you know? So this is why I think in most of these topics, whether we're talking about the kinds of ETs or the, the kinds of craft or the kinds of abductions or reasons for abductions or the reasons they might be taking animals. I, my experience is there's anywhere between three and 10 different possible viable reasons. And like, we have to keep kind of complexifying the conversation. We have to keep opening to the other layers and keep avoiding trying to explain it through a, a singular narrative because the phenomena just seems to have so many different things going on. And we as humans always kind of want Occam's razor, some simple, you know, elegant way to describe what's going on. And, and you know, that might be part of the phenomenon in that mm -hmm. context. But my experience as a, a trained integralist is it's almost always never a majority or even all of the phenomenon. You know, and so we, we have to keep expanding the possibilities of what's going on in these various, you know, discussions. Yeah, not not that simple, right? It's it's not, and and I didn't mean I probably framed the question incorrectly in making it simple. I was simply sort of wondering if you think that that there is a possibility that they may be trying to use that animal consciousness for something. If that is yeah. a possibility among perhaps hundreds or thousands, yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, and I think okay. this is one of the areas where I think. As we learn and understand, and explore the phenomena more, there's these new horizons that begin to emerge that we start to realize this other this other thing is going on. And I think one of those other things going on is like their own study of animal consciousness and how they might be using that as, you know, for whatever, you know, any number of reasons. Purpose. Right.
Let's get Money Nathan in there, sir. Yeah, so Sean, I just uh, took my kids to the movies yesterday. We saw Dungeons and Dragons. And when I was there, a great movie, by the way. Uh, While we were there, I was thinking about just all of the films that are out now. You know, they're really popular kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And um, you you touched on Hollywood. But we've got uh, films coming out that are literally called Elementals. We've got uh, (laughs) a movie coming out, uh, The Marvels, which, you know, kind of extra, uh, you know, superhuman kind of uh, creatures and transformers. We talked about machine elves. I mean, transformers, they're sort of right. essentially like giant <laughs> machine elves. So I, I bring this up to say, you know, what role do you think uh, these kinds of things play in the priming of, of our, of our Western way of thinking? And I say Western, because I think in the East, they're much more comfortable with a lot of these different types of beings. And it's just been kind of part of their ethos for us. We've really just uh, relegated all that away to saying there's there's only one other non-human intelligence that would be God and, you know, and, and, and there's just, you know, everybody else. And so I wonder, and also thinking about this from a kind of a Wolverian perspective, that integral perspective, are we are we expanding that awareness? Is it is it finally kind of coming around to where the the, the table is set? We're ready. We're, we're being prepared to to accept the greater reality that happens to be there. Yeah, I think movies play a really big role in this, you know, and Robbie Graham's book, um, you know, Saucers on the Silver Screen is a, is a great kind of analysis of, of some of this. And he just passed away. So, you know, just sending love to, to him and his family. Um, you know, one of the concepts he talks about in that book is the hyper real and how the, you know, you get this weird and this is an example of doubleness, right, where people see a film, right? This has UFOs in it. And then there's kind of this conditioning of like, okay, I don't believe in UFOs because, you know, I, it's a film. I saw it on a film and film is made up. It's, you know, it's not real. Right. So there's a way in which film kind of programs us to think something's not real. But then on the other hand, there's this other kind of unconscious programming that we, we think it is real because we saw it on film. Right. So there's kind of this like it's like works both ways. So it's very kind of paradoxical um, where, you know, and then sometimes there's really weird, interesting historical analyses that seem to suggest that, you know, some UFOs showed up at a certain point in time and then they get incorporated into um, kind of our films and represented on the screen. And then there's another loop where then those that are on the screen then influence how the phenomena showing up in the next era, right? And so you have what I call this mutual enactment dynamic, right? And then sometimes people said, well, people are just making this shit up because they're describing things that they saw in the movies, you know, the last few years. Well, yeah, there might be some of that going on, right? So we have to try and dissect and analyze that. Um, But I think the phenomena is much more amorphous and dynamic and responsive to our own individual and collective consciousness and that sometimes it shows up based on the reference points we have in our own mind, but that doesn't mean that what's there is, you know, is not external and independently real in some sense, right? So I think there's this really interesting co-creative, co-enactment that's occurring, and I think movies play a big role in that. Um, and, and it's also why I feel concerned that a majority of movies around ETs are very negative. Um, you know, there, there are only a handful that are really positive. That's changing, though, in the last couple of years, we're seeing a lot more, you know, movies that I think um, serve a better purpose in terms of 
allowing us to consider what's possible. The movie that I want to see is like an award-winning, you know, movie of a woman who discovers she has hybrid children and then her process of making contact with those hybrid children and her existential issues around trying to navigate this double reality and like done in such a way that's like very powerful, emotionally riveting, very convincing and really like gets into like the really painful and confusing emotional realities of that situation. Right. So I feel like in a way it's like so many of our movies, like they're not even really going into the heart of some of the areas that this phenomenon represents. And I think there's a lot more great material Right. Um, that's possible. Um, but yeah, right. I think there's a lot of interesting relationships between our consciousness and kind of movie consciousness. Well, and just to quickly piggyback yeah. on that, the Marian archetype, you know, so right. Marian and her hybrid child, Jesus. Right. So there's this right. uh, relationship there uh, <laughs> that is already baked into many of our uh, sort of worldviews. Um, so I, I think I agree with you. That would be an amazing thing to kind of flesh out and, and get people thinking. Um Anyway, appreciate your answer. Yeah. And great. for anybody that would laugh at these concepts that might have heard of this not very well-known phrase, art imitates life. So, right. Exactly. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. or, or life imitates art. Um, Deb, I know that any casting director out there that would want to do a full feature-length film about a mother connecting with her hybrid children, I know that you would make yourself available for that kind of a project. Am I correct? I am, but... I will say in meditation, I was taught that hybrid children are not necessarily ones that we should be raising. Mm. <laughs> so that's all I'm going to say about it. I'm not going to get started on it. Okay. okay. But um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to get started. I will, I will refrain. Okay. Anywho. So I wanted to ask if you can, besides the obvious choice of using meditation, can you give us some tips and suggestions for mm. accessing our other subtle bodies? Yeah. Yeah. So subtle bodies, I mean, almost all the contemplative traditions, Taoism, Hinduism, Buddhism, you know, Native American spirituality, you know, theosophy, you know, pretty much every, you know, major and minor contemplative tradition acknowledges and works with the subtle bodies. They have different maps. They have different kind of ways of thinking about or, or working with it. Um, you know, but so there's a lot of practices, you know, across those traditions. So if there are certain traditions that you're already connected to, then you just might have to do a little digging to find how your tradition um, actually historically and contemporaneously works with and, you know, and has practices around the subtle body. A lot of them are around, you know, breathing and visualization. Um, a lot of them just like building somatic awareness and sensing um, you know, movement, um, you know, obviously, you know, psychedelics and sacred medicines, um, dancing and trance, um, you know, drum beats. You know, one of the things that's so fascinating about contact modalities, as I started studying contact modalities, is, you know, because I was really inspired by the CE5 movement and this idea of human initiated contact, you know, which involves consciousness as a core kind of part of that. But as I started studying the different contact modalities, I started to realize pretty much everything is a contact modality. When you look at the traditions and the religions and the different, and, I, and it made me realize like we are primed for contact. Basically, we just have to slightly alter our consciousness and we're having contact with different types of beings and different types of realms. And it kind of blew me away when I really kind of got the magnitude of like, there's pretty much all these different doors and if you go through any of them, 
you're likely to have some kind of contact. Um, one book that I really love, and I've taught this book in public courses and in academic courses, is The Multidimensional Human by Kurt Leland. Kurt Leland is based in Boston. He's um, one of my teachers, and he um, is a you know contemporary theosophist. Um, and in this book, he takes the Seth material because Seth, you know, via Jane Roberts, um, talked about a number of inner senses. So he kind of brought together all the material Seth had described these inner senses, and he organizes them into 20 main inner senses. And then, you know, to my astonishment, he uses a four-quadrant system that is the same as Wilbur's, but Leland doesn't know Wilbur's work or not aware of the four quadrants until I pointed it out to him. And so there's five um, kinesthetic senses there, you know, to work with your body and locate your body in these different realms. Um, there's five environmental senses of like how to move through the different realms. And there's five relational senses of how to communicate and interact with beings in these different realms. And there's five existential senses, which are about working with your own consciousness. And so it's a very user-friendly book and it gives guided meditations for each of these senses that you can develop. And you develop them in the kind of comfort of your own physical body and your own physical world. Like you don't have to like be in some out-of-body state in order to do these practices. The idea is actually you develop the, the muscle groups kind of in waking consciousness, you know, working with these meditations. And then when you're doing your dream work or your astral projection or, you know, other types of meditations, that then you will have more access to these inner senses and their associated, um, you know, subtle bodies. And his system, which is the theosophical system, has nine subtle bodies. So there's, and, and what's fascinating is different subtle bodies have different senses. So in our etheric body, we have our physical body and then we have our etheric body. The etheric body tends to be what a lot of healers use to heal other human beings or even animals. Then there's the astral body. The astral body tends to be what we use when we dream um, or when we do astral travel. Then there's, you know, the, the mental body and the causal body. And then you're starting to get more into the soul level. You know, then there's the buddhic body and it goes you know, beyond that. But it's just interesting. He gives a lot of, you know, good descriptions of these subtle bodies, how to understand them, the different kinds of experiences you have with them. And so that would be a good entry point for people wanting to just explore more um, with the subtle body piece. My man, I'm going to tell you what, man, it does <laughs> seem like you've read a couple of books in your day. It really does. <laughs> Gobble, gobble, gobble. Can't get enough. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get you with another library scientist right there. Uh, we've got last two questions here. Here goes Leah Prime. Sure. Um, this is actually similar to a question I asked Dr. Kripa last week, um, which is mm. basically that we're in the midst um, of a rise in spirituality and psychedelic renaissance, both of which, of course, have led to a massive refactoring of personal ontologies for people yeah. who are participating in these things. We also have extremely poor cultural narratives for navigating these experiences. Yes. Yes. So I was wondering what resources, thinkers, or practices that you recommend mm -hmm. to help people integrate and make sense of what happens to them. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is probably in some ways the main focus of all of the um, public programs that I've taught, and I think will even be a big part of the upcoming, um, you know, six-month course that's starting next week. These experiences are confusing, right? Um, they're confusing on so many levels. 
in part because we're in a scientific materialist culture that just won't validate it. And, and we just end up feeling like we're going crazy. And even when we're around a supportive community, like it's still hard. It's, it's still, you know, it's like we doubt ourselves and, you know, it's like, and, um, and so I have this mantra, kind of this orientation of taking things serious and holding them lightly. Um, that's kind of guides a lot of my work in all of these spaces. And, and I, I really encourage my students and colleagues to, to work with that in, in ways that make sense to them. Because it's like, like, for instance, I had this experience um, in, the, in this meditative process of being a mantid being. And, and I was on a ship and I was kind of the scientist, you know, on the ship. And that was kind of my role. And the experience was that this was me. Like I, I was like connecting with myself. That's like, a, you know, and, and when I, and it was also kind of weird because on the one hand, it, when I tried to like, is this a past self? Uh, yes. Is this a current self? Yes. Is this a future self? Yes. You know, and, and then I realized, well, well, mantid beings like are so long lived that in relationship to me as a human being, like, yeah, of course, it would be a past, current and future life. Right. And it was like, so it was like totally can be like, what do you do with that? Right. And and so it's like, OK, am I a mantid being? OK, maybe like am I have a soul connection with a mantid being? OK, maybe like is this a parallel life? Maybe, you know, it's like the list goes on. It, it could be so many different things. And it, and part of me like wants to know, like, what was that experience? Like, and it was very real. It was very visceral. Like there was something in that experience that was undeniable. And it wasn't just a dream imagination. It was like me connecting with another intelligence that may or may not be myself. Um, and, you know, and so at the end of the day, it's like, you really don't know what to do with it, but I take it very seriously, but I hold it lightly. Right. So I, I, I stay open to like, OK, I don't know what that was about, but there's something valuable about that experience I want to stay in relationship to. And maybe as I gain other experiences, maybe as I have more conversations, maybe as I do my meditation and, and open mm -hmm. up, my conscience, like maybe more data points will merge, maybe deeper understanding. It's like I don't have to I don't have to come up with the interpretation right now. I don't mm -hmm. have to say, oh, it's this or it's that. It's hard right. because as humans, we, we kind of need that. So part of it is building more capacity to kind of rest in the unknown while also not just saying, well, I don't know what that was. I'm not going to give it any time of day. Like, no, and like really like embrace it, connect to it, like make room for the, the realness of that, but give yourself permission to rest in some of the uncertainty or unclarity of it at the same time. Um, and for me, that's been kind of my primary meditation practice um, is with all these weird experiences I've had to take them very seriously. These are windows into other realms and worlds and layers and aspects of myself and hold it very lightly because I just don't have enough understanding, maturity, information, guidance to make sense of it in a definitive way. Right. And so any kind of meditation practice that helps us disidentify with our stories, right, because we like to tell stories uh, and, and try and, you know, and then mistake those stories for reality. So any kind of meditative <laughs> practice that helps build that meta awareness, that witness awareness, where we can sure. learn to be present to the phenomenon without having to lock it into a particular narrative. And you mentioned how we're we're drowning in a um, 
a lack of cultural capacity to talk about or make sense of the phenomenon. I think this kind of work on an individual level and a social level is really important of, of making room for the reality of these things without having to lock it into like a, some kind of weird scientific materialist, like, okay, there it is. I got it. Like, you know, it's like, we want to lock our radar on it. I don't think we're there yet. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Thank you. You know, and while you're doing that, Nathan on mute was saying, amen to what this brother's saying right now. I know he was, you know it. I, I could say it. Um, and I know obviously this uh, taking things seriously and holding them lightly, that was completely inspired by the song from 38 Special, right? Hold on loosely, but don't let go. <laughs> I'm going to listen to that song now. I know I, it's pointed out that connection to me, so thank you. Yeah, no, no problem, man. Uh, that's what I'm here for is this kind of ridiculousness. Uh, let me pass it over to Davey Johnston. Our last question. Uh, I'll start with another thank you. Take it seriously and hold it lightly has just become part of my daily contemplative process. Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> um, it, funny how these things um, capture you at the right time. Um, when I first fell really headlong into this whole thing 30 plus years ago, one of the series of books that really resonated with me, and you'll have to excuse the pun, was Bruce, Cassie, Bruce, Bruce Cathy's work on harmonics. Mm. So what I would just like you to do, if you don't mind, is talk to us a little bit about your harmonic Enneagram models and yep. the importance of the patterns you see within there, because again, they, they resonate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this was a really powerful experience for me it happened, you know, a number of years ago where I had this download experience of kind of this information, just all of a sudden being in my consciousness and it seemed to be extraterrestrial galactic in some sense. It also seemed to be collect, connected to Metatron, so kind of this archangel celestial thing. And this is another example where it's kind of like my mind wants to say, like, okay, it's either one or the other. Like, Metatron's not hanging out with ET. So, like, why am I having this experience that this information is somehow connected to both? And then I realized, okay, that's just a story I'm telling myself. Like, maybe they are very connected. Maybe they are the same, you know, like, so it's like we have to just keep opening it up, right? And going, okay, <laughs> it gets weirder and weirder, you know. Um, and so this experience was, you know, I've worked with the Enneagram system, you know, for 20 some years prior to this as a personality system. I've really loved it. And, and it's this, you know, two-dimensional diagram associated with Gurdjieff, you know, it's kind of got the, got these lines and it's kind of cool looking. And, uh, and the, the experience was, you know, starting to build three-dimensional geometric models that were based on triadic harmonics within the system. And I, I, I initially started to realize that there were more, because in the Enneagram theory, for instance, we, Russ um, and um, Riso, two authors, had identified a set of harmonic connections between different types. So like the nine, the two, and the seven are all positive types. Um, they all have a positive orientation to whatever's kind of happening to them in their life typically. And so I, I started, this information came and started to realize that there were a, a number of different sets of harmonics and that this was actually not a, a personality system primarily, but it's actually a map of reality and that reality is made out of these harmonics, right? And, you know, and this goes back to Pythagorean thought, you know, of like the world's made out of triangles and even Bucky Fuller had kind of landed on that insight, you know? So there's something about the triangle that's really key. And you even see this in occult practices because one pole is a positive, one is a negative, 
And then the third is an equal sign or the balancing or synthesizing, right? So you just, it's like a polarity that's then stabilized, right? And that a lot of magical practices kind of work with that core architecture. So there's something about um, triadic harmonies that I think is foundational to reality. And so I've mapped out this whole series of geometric um, designs and modeled them and, you know, and I've made diagrams and I'm working on a book to kind of unpack it fuller. Um, but it's another example of taking it seriously, holding it lightly, because it's like, how do you make sense of the experience of getting this download and this information? And it's like, you know, when people say, well, how did you come up with this? Oh, well, some angels and ETs were talking to me somehow and it just kind of happened. It's just like, you know, what do you do with that? <laughs> it's just wild. Right. And I think, you know, a lot of, you know, and this is another thing about contact. I think, I don't think we have an appreciation for how much human ingenuity is actually, you know, these beings from other realms and dimensions just whispering into our ears. You know, so I, I think we need to be much more humble around things we take credit for, because I, I feel like we're getting a lot of help from the other side, <laughs> you know, and from all corners of the wild cosmos. Yeah, the muses, exactly. I'm going to tell you what, man, you, you have brought some serious enthusiasm here today. Before <laughs> we get into our cabbie goodbyes, I want to give a shout out to Brother James Iandoli, my paisan <laughs> from Nueva York who got us uh, this interview. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't have even uh, answered our email. I'm just kidding. I'm sure you would have. Uh, it just would have taken like 70 more of them. Um, so thank you, James, for connecting us with uh, Dr. Dr. Hargens here. And uh, now we will go with Cabby Goodbye, starting with my man from, from Yaksha, the guy who completed the Three Peaks Challenge again this year. Go ahead, Davey. Just, Sean, thank you so much. Um, I'm going to try and go around into the next room and see if I can borrow $500 from my wife. Um, I don't know how I can manipulate the time to fit everything in, but that's the next stage of this. Awesome. But Sean, thank you so much. And thank you to the rest of my cabbie family. family. Much love to everybody. It's an honor to have you. Prime time. Sean, thank you so much. Wonderful conversation, really inspired by all the work and research you're doing. Um, and also, uh, this is work that to me feels desperately, desperately needed mm -hmm. too for where we are right now in humanity. Mm -hmm. Great joining you. Great, thank you. Mm -hmm. And Debs. Yeah, I definitely think we needed 10 more hours and probably <laughs> 100 more people who can talk like you do and address the things that you do. So thank you so much for the work that you're doing. And um, I wanted to also say that Jay uh, said hello beforehand. I don't know if we got a chance to tell and you that. And Kelly. And Kelly. Yes, Kelly and Kelly, well. of course. Yep. Everyone thinks you're amazing. Thank you so much. Great. Thanks, Deb. Money. Yeah, Sean, this has been uh, an incredible conversation and made my morning and weekend. So really mm -hmm. appreciate you joining us. Uh, there is truly something special that happens when minds get together mm. and communicate. A, a new mind is sort of emerges, right? And I, and I think that's what's happening here. Uh, these connections are so incredibly valuable. So thank you for taking time to connect with our little network here and uh, mm. and to create something new with us. Uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, all of us are big fans looking forward to seeing the things that, that you do. Awesome. Thanks, Nate. You know, before I get into mine, can I just get a hey, 
amen for Dr. Hargens. Amen. Because <laughs> I'm going to tell you, and I say amen probably more than any other Jewish Italian man, but I'll tell you what, man, it's apropos for this situation. Um, Dr. Sean, thank you so much, sir. Mm -hmm. I, I'm glad you came in the cab. I hope you enjoyed our format. We certainly mm -hmm. enjoyed you. Um, and uh, I do have enough questions for a part two in the future <laughs> if you'll join yeah, us. We'll do it. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, great. Thanks, DJ. And yeah, thanks. Shout out to James for connecting us. I did a great show with him um, not too long ago. So really glad mm -hmm. to be here. Yeah, I love the format. I, you know, it, it was a lot of fun. This has probably been the funnest conversation I've had. Um, enjoy the humor and just the, the slapstickiness and just the um, it just it keeps it alive. Um, and also, it's very heartfelt. Like I really felt um, just a, a nice connection with each of you. And Really glad to see, you know, Deb, you and Leah here. More women need to be, you know, on platforms as part of this um, conversation. I feel like women are really underrepresented in this space. So really glad that this team has both of you on it. Um, and yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity to just share, you know, with the world through your audience, you know, some of the things I'm up to and, you know, and, and just, you know, I'm excited to grow the academic program. So if people are interested in that, reach out, you know, I'd love to have you in the program that's launching next week. And people can, you know, reach me at Sean at metaintegral.net. So happy to get emails and respond. And I absolutely look forward to being back in the cab and, and going for another awesome ride with you all. Great. I'll tell you what, and I want to say that uh, female voices have been part of CAB since day one, mm -hmm. either as guests at the at like the 50 percentile. And then we were lucky enough to get Deb as uh, one of the first. And, and now we have Leah. And we'd also like to get uh, more people of color and other yeah, other great. sort mm -hmm. of uh, uh, people represented other other different underrepresented, I guess you could say, American uh, Americans would like to get more of them on here. Um, it, we badly need those voices as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, I do. Yeah. I thank you very much. And I'm glad that you're going to come back and join us for more Absolutely. fun. Um, we'll try to engage Gary Nolan about the potato chip issue, find out what his choice <laughs> is. On that. <laughs> if he says I'm Omni chip, then we really, Nathan, we really got to start. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's let's, big. we'll get with Dr. Pasolka. Um, shortly, <laughs> you know, she's got an amazing book coming out in the fall on encounters. I'm really excited. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. I can't, I, it's, it's so exciting. You know, we, those of us like Nathan and I haven't had, I don't know, it, Leah, have you had experiences? Oh man, we could do a whole show on this. Okay. Okay. I didn't know that. <laughs> so, uh, Nate, uh, so Leah, Debs, Davies had an experience, I really haven't uh, had a Nathan, so it we see are able to connect with the phenomenon through others, and so we value mm -hmm. that when we have. And you just happen to be a PhD and an experiencer, so. <laughs> uh, so on behalf of uh, Dr. Hargens, Davey, Leah, Deb, and Nathan, this is DJ saying peace out, one love. Mm -hmm. We'll see you down the road, and as always, cabbies are wondering what's up around the bend. Great, awesome. Have a great Thanks, weekend. Be well.